You uh, may know that we have the privilege of a special speaker, uh, guest speaker here this morning. You may not know that, and uh, you may be the luckiest dog around if you didn't know that and you just stumbled in. I want you to know four things about Gary Walter this morning. One, he has uh, been the president of our denomination. We're part of the Evangelical Covenant Church, as many of you know, and uh, uh, Gary has given incredible leadership for the past 10 years. He's going to share a little bit that he's actually, he's uh, at the end of his, uh, his term, so to speak, and, um, but he's given 10 years of leading our church, I mean our denomination and, and our churches. And um, before that, he spent 17 years in leadership at our denomination. His reputation precedes him. He would not say this to you, but um, our denomination is uh, one of the fastest growing denominations in uh, America. It has grown for the last 30 years. It has made incredible strides in women and, and ethnic diversity in its leadership. His legacy in leading this denomination has been phenomenal. And uh, people would love to have Gary in their church today, and we got him. So I want you to know about he's an incredible leader in our denomination. Secondly, what I want you to know is that Art Greco worked for him for five years, which is why he's not a total disaster. And uh, so they have a really sweet friendship and relationship, and, uh, and, and Art sees uh, Gary as one of his pastors and mentors uh, in ministry. Uh, the third thing that I want you to know uh, about, about Gary is that uh, he had his, his spiritual roots here. He and his wife, Nancy, are both from Marin. He'll share a little bit more uh, with you, and that's why it's so appropriate that they get to be with us today on this, our 50th anniversary. And the fourth thing that I want you to know about Gary is that when he comes and stands before you and opens up God's word, he's a man of deep faith who believes that the love of God will change the world. And he loves God's word, and you will be impacted because God will speak through his gifts of teaching. And so buckle up. It is my privilege to uh, have you join me in welcoming uh, Gary Walter. Well, what uh, Jeff didn't say is that this is actually my last Sunday before I retire. So the fact that it's 50th anniversary for Marin, and uh, I retire as of September 1st, uh, it's a real honor and pleasure uh, to be here. And I do want to say, uh, want to say that, uh, in all sincerity, everything important in my life traces back to this congregation. I grew up in Kentfield, Redwood class of 72, Nancy's Nevada class of 72. Uh, And I grew up in a home I'm very appreciative of, but we really had no spiritual leanings at all. And then my brother uh, started dating. uh, There was a Peterson family uh, uh, that was very foundational to the life of this church. One of their daughters was Jan. My brother started dating Jan. Jan signed the charter as a charter member of uh, Marin Covenant Church. She's the one who stood up. Jan, just stand up again real quick. A charter member right here. And uh, she and my brother were the, uh, the first couple that Gary Copeland married. Gary was the founding uh, uh, pastor, and now, obviously, they're celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary uh, this year. Um, and so, anyway, they bugged me and said, you got to come to church, and I came. And for the very first time in my life, I heard that God knows me as a high school student. I heard that God knows me, that God loves me, and that I was meant for this relationship. And I committed my life to Christ in the context of this brand new church at at that time. A few years later, uh, Mary Beth Smith, the Smith family, very instrumental in the founding of this church, Mary Beth, uh, invited one of her neighbors to come to the college group. And it was my wife, uh, 
Nancy. And uh, for the very first time I saw Nancy here at Marin Covenant, I knew we were going to get married. Very first time. The fact I was dating somebody else at the time was a little bit of a complication, but, <laughs> but that all worked out. And, and this uh, is the church where I sensed my call to ministry. So literally everything important in my life, my faith, my family, my vocation, starting September 1st, my covenant pension, it all, <laughs> it all traces back to faithful people who had a heart for this county knowing the lavish love of God. Uh, I'm not the only one this church has um, helped uh, send off into ministry. Uh, I know this morning um, uh, I saw Kent Place at the first service, uh, Steve Annan I saw uh, for this service. Steve, where are you? Uh, some of you, Steve, just stand up real quick. Steve's another covenant pastor, his family very involved. And there, there are too many others to mention. There could be others here this morning, but this church has a history of, of helping people sense uh, their call into ministry. And Gary Copeland was in the first service. You'll see him uh, later on throughout uh, this day. I honestly believe that here at the 50th anniversary, this church is as poised as ever uh, to be a healthy missional congregation. I honestly believe uh, that the staff that God has brought together, the lay leaders, you as a congregation, that um, this church really is poised for its most significant days uh, moving uh, forward. And I think you probably want to express your appreciation to your staff uh, as well. <clears throat> So Jeff, Jeff mentioned that uh, Art and I work together at Covenant Offices in Chicago. Here's a picture of your pastor, uh, by the way, I believe. Yeah, there he is. Yep. Hasn't changed a whole lot. Uh, um, and so we can take that picture down probably now. That's good. Um, but while we were working together, um, Art's father died. And uh, I went to uh, that memorial service. And Art preached, did a, did a wonderful job. And his challenge to the congregation, as he reflected on the impact that his father had in his own life, his challenge to the congregation was this. Live a life worthy of those who have lived their lives for you. Live a life worthy of those who have lived their lives for you. On this, your 50th anniversary, what does it mean to live a life worthy uh, of those who uh, committed to starting this church, to those who have brought this church to, to this point where you are uh, so poised for a strong future? What does it mean to live a life worthy of the legacy of this church that you have now inherited? Well, I think it means to live in the rhythm of the invitations that Jesus gives in the Gospels. There are three times where Jesus extends the invitation to come. Come. You're over there, but I want you to come over here. This is where to live. And we're going to look at those three uh, invitations this morning. And as we do, I want you to be listening in your own heart and in your own life for, for the invitation that Jesus is extending to you. Because I believe that one of these invitations, or maybe two or maybe all three of these invitations are for you this morning. So let's look at the three times where Jesus says, come. The first time is uh, to two uh, fishermen, Peter 
and Andrew. It's, it's actually recorded in, in all, all of the Gospels. And, and Jesus says to them, come, and I will make you fishers of people. Come, you're, you're over there doing that, but, but I want you to come over here, and I will make you fishers of people. You see, it's the, it's the invitation that Jesus extends to each one of us to be a difference maker with our lives, to, to align our lives with the things that matter to God. You were created to be a difference maker. And this church was started to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Jesus was saying, hey, live for the things that matter to God. That's what he's getting at in Mark 8.34 when, when he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. In other words, when we, when we try to grasp on tight and hold on to the things of, lift, of this life, they, they actually slip through our fingers. But when we release our grasp and start reaching out for the enduring things that God values, then life takes on meaning and significance and, and dimension. You see, there is a difference between significance and success. You were designed for significance, not for success as our culture defines it. Success as, as typically defined in our culture is about amassing more and more into our own lives and existence, amassing more education and prestige and, and power and wealth. Now, don't get me wrong, striving to do our best and having a sense of accomplishment is not a bad thing. It's just not ultimately a satisfying thing. When we're only amassing things into our lives, we can end up in a funk experienced by novelist Upton Sinclair, who despaired and, and said this, I fear that though I'm living comfortably enough, I'm not living nobly enough. Or Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, who said that even with all he had accumulated, that finding meaning in life was like chasing after the wind. But significance is difference. Significance is when we invest in those things outside of us that outlive us. It's taking those things that, that have come into our life, but returning them out into, into the purposes of God. It comes in investing things greater than our own lives. It's taking our, our, our gifts and our talents and, and, and resources and using them for the things that ultimately matter to God. There's two things to notice about entering and, and answering this invitation that, that Jesus has to come and be a difference maker. The first thing to note in this, in this verse is that Jesus believes in your potential. You might be saying, well, you know, I, I'd like to, to give myself to the purposes of God, but, but I, I'm not really sure I have anything to, to offer God. I'm not sure if my life is put together enough right now. I'm not sure if I really have, have the gifts or the, the talents that, that could actually make a difference. But you know what? What you think doesn't matter. It's not what you think about your potential. It's what Jesus thinks about your potential. Jesus didn't see ready one, uh, day one readiness in, uh, in the disciples. Uh, listen uh, to what he says. He saw their potential. I will make you 
fishers of people. That, that word in the group, uh, Greek for make is poeso. It, it's it's the, the word that is used of, of craftsmen. So, uh, so the carpenter, poeso, on the wood to shape it into what it is. The, the sculptor, poeso, on, on clay to, to shape that clay in, into what it will be. And, and Jesus says, I will make you. I see the potential in you. I will shape you. Jesus says, I believe in you. The point is this. Jesus isn't focused on what you were or who you are. Jesus is focused on who you can be. He's always wanting to shape us and to grow us. There's a story told about Muhammad Ali. Uh, he was on a plane that was getting ready to take off, and the flight attendant came over to him and said, excuse me, Mr. Ali, it's time to put on your seatbelt. And, and he replied, seatbelt? Seatbelt? Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the flight attendant replied, yeah, well, Superman don't need no airplane either. Now put on your seatbelt. And God's not looking for people with superhuman powers. He's looking for people he can shape and mold and who are willing to be found faithful. Think of all the, the flawed people that God used in the Bible. Noah was a drunk. Jacob was a liar. Moses stuttered. Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer. Jonah ran from God. Job was bankrupt. Abraham was too old. Martha was too worried. Zacchaeus was too short. Timothy was too young. And Lazarus was too dead. <laughs> and, and so this first invitation of Jesus is, hey, you're, you're over there. You're, you're trying to accumulate all of this into your life. Accomplishment's not a bad thing. But the most important thing is to come over here and use your life to make a difference for the things that matter to God. Whatever your vocation is, whatever your neighborhood is, whatever your circle of relationships is, God is saying you can make a difference. That's the first invitation. But it's not just wondering, well, do I really have something to offer? Yes, you do have something to offer. But, but the second thing is, will you offer it? Uh, we have uh, three daughters, and before we moved to uh, Chicago to work at uh, Covenant Offices, I was a pastor of a church in San Diego, and I was teaching our uh, preschool class. Our, our daughter was in it, and I was helping out one day, and, and the subject was generosity, and I came up with an object lesson all by myself. I was very proud I could come up with an object lesson, or so I thought, for preschoolers. And uh, so it was on generosity, so see if you can follow along. I think you can. Uh, I gave half the class two of those little goldfish crackers, and to the other half of the class, I gave no goldfish crackers. So it's on generosity. Half the class has two, half the class has none. And I asked the very simple question, now, children, what can we do to make sure that everyone has a cracker? And my own daughter, my own flesh and blood, <laughs> blurted out while clutching two goldfish crackers in her own tight little fist, I know, Dad, you can go to the store and buy some more. <laughs> And what she failed to realize, what she failed to realize is the only reason, the only reason she had two crackers in the first place was to give one of them 
away. But, you know, we can do the same thing. When, when we're confronted with the needs of the world, we can go to God in prayer and say, uh, I know, God, in your storehouse, you can get some more. And we fail to realize that God has already given us what we need to be on the solution side of the equation. Hey, hey, you're living over there. You're missing all of these purposes, all this difference you can make in the world. Jesus says, come, come, and I will shape you and make you into a difference maker. Now, the second invitation comes in Matthew chapter 11. It's the invitation to live in the promise of, of Jesus' strength and, and rest, even in the crushing demands of life. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes, God calls us into these grand causes that, that make a difference, but in case you haven't noticed, there's two things about life. One, none of us gets out alive. And, and the other thing is, none of us will ever not be crushed at some point. Where we feel an incredible weight and burden, and wondering, how will we ever get forward? And Jesus says, I am your refuge, especially in those moments. You're, you're over there and I understand the pain, and the pain is real, but come. Yeah, the, the pain's probably still going to be there, especially for a while, but you know what? You don't walk in that pain alone because my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, and I will share that with you, and I will be your strength. Yes, life is to that call of, of meaning, and making a difference, but life is also full of potential hurt and exhaustion and frustration, and Jesus invites us to come to him in that weariness. Now, it's interesting to look at the images that the New Testament uses as, of us as followers of Jesus. For example, with uh, the Apostle Paul in, in the book of Timothy, he gives three images right in a row, an athlete, a farmer, and a soldier. What do those three images have in common? Exertion and focus and dedication and action. But there are other images in, in the New Testament of walking with God. Being the sheep, the clay, the branches. Those are all receiving images, not exertion images. Images which receive and benefit from what's being poured into them. Sheep that will be led, clay that will be molded, branches that will be nourished by connection with the vine. And Jesus says to the exerting ones, yes, this is a cause worthy of your complete attention and focus and your, your very best efforts. Yes, think like an athlete, a farmer, a soldier. But when exertion leads to depletion, know that, that I invite you to, to come, especially in those moments of depletion. Think of a different set of images, images that receive, and in that receiving, you will find rest. You know, at, at various points in my own life, I know I've literally laid out flat, face flat on the floor, depleted with nothing left to give and nowhere else to turn but to the grace and the graciousness of Jesus, 
and the loving support of Nancy and friends and, and colleagues. And it'll happen to all of us. In fact, there's a part of our discipleship we, we may not even experience to its deepest degree unless we understand that invitation to come. Uh, John Wenrick uh, has been elected to, uh, uh, to be the next president uh, of the covenant, and, and he talks a lot about brokenness. And as he searched the scriptures, um, he, he recognized, wait a minute, there, there's a distinction in the types of brokenness. Yeah, yes, there's brokenness that leads to disuse. That's the kind of brokenness that we're used to. So the, the car breaks and can't be used, the, the plumbing, the computer, the toaster. When they're broken, they're of no use. But there are other things that are of no use until they are broken. A thoroughbred can't race until it's broken. A baseball mitt is no good until it's broken in. In case of emergency, break glass. And probably your prescription medicine says, break this seal. The bedrock spiritual reality is that God uses broken things. In fact, our entire faith is built on this statement of Jesus about his sacrifice on the cross. This is my body, broken for you. And what does King David say is an acceptable offering to God? A broken spirit and a contrite heart. God uses broken things. Not a brokenness that leads to disuse, but a brokenness that when the pieces are given to God, can open us up to greater dimensions of experiencing God's intimacy and mercy and, and presence. And, and, and Pieces that when they are placed into the hands of God, God redeems those and reshapes them and prepares us for deeper levels of service to others. No one ever said life would be easy. And because Jesus knows it's not easy, he wants to make sure that we know we are invited to him as a refuge that in our weariness, he extends the invitation to come. He extends the promise to walk alongside us in that heaviness and that he will share that burden with us. Are you coming this morning weary? Jesus is your refuge. This church was started to be a refuge. Jesus says, even in your pain, Come, and I will share it with you. Then the final invitation is found in John 21. It's after the resurrection. The disciples have been fishing all night. They haven't caught any fish. They hear a voice from the shore that says, put the net out on the other side. They get a big catch. They look in on the shore. Is that Jesus? I think that is Jesus. And they, and they come to shore. And what do they find there? They, they, they find a fire for breakfast. And what does Jesus say? He says, come. Come have breakfast. The in invitation to friendship, to intimacy. The invitation 
to companionship. Now, as they're, after they've had that breakfast that, that Jesus makes, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, let's, let's go for a walk. Now, you remember on the night in which uh, Jesus was betrayed, he, he said, um, one of you is going to betray me. And Peter said, Jesus, it will never be me. I will never betray you. But what happens on the night of Jesus' arrest? Peter betrays Jesus three times. And here they are walking on the beach. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's probably thinking, oh, this is just a good, warm, fuzzy talk with Jesus on the beach. And he says, Jesus, I love you. And and Jesus then says the second time, Peter, do you love me? I think Peter's starting to think, what's going on? This is a lot heavier conversation than I was anticipating. And, well, yes, Jesus, I, I love you. And then a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter understands what's going on. He denied Jesus three times, and three times he has an opportunity to affirm his love for Jesus. He says, yes, Jesus, I love you. Now, let me ask you a question. On the night when Jesus was arrested, Do you think Peter meant it when he said, Jesus, I will never betray you? Do you think he meant it? Absolutely he meant it. But now he comes face to face with his own failure. He he let Jesus down, and now he's let down himself because he let Jesus down. But, But notice this. Who came to the beach? It was Jesus. Who built the fire? It was Jesus. Who cooked breakfast? It was Jesus. Who said, Peter, let's go for a walk? It was Jesus. Who was it who said, Peter, do you love me? It was Jesus. You see, at every step, Jesus took the initiative. He, he didn't stand apart saying, when Peter comes groveling back to me, maybe I'll have a conversation with him. No, Jesus took the initiative at every point to reset their relationship. And this morning, you might be thinking that you're disappointed in yourself for how you've disappointed God. And you're, and you're wondering, has Jesus decided to, to walk away? For me? And the answer is no. Jesus takes the initiative at every step to come and reset the relationship. And he does it in the context of this intimacy, this, this one-on-one. You see, every heart is an address known to God. There was a, uh, a college student who needed to take a few more units to graduate, took the easiest class uh, he could find, which was bird watching. And um, 
learned all the shapes of birds, colors, this and that. He was ready for the final because the final was just going to be a, a single sheet of pictures of birds. All he had to do was identify the birds by the pictures. And so he gets there for the final, and the professor hands out the paper, and you know what it is? It's a sheet of paper with pictures, yes, but pictures of bird legs only. So essentially, it was an impossible test, because every bird leg looks the same. And the student got so upset, he watered up his paper, threw it against the wall, yelled at the teacher, this is the most unfair test I've ever taken in my life, started stomping to the door, and the professor said, young man, what is your name? And the student rolled up his pants legs and said, you tell me. <laughs> okay, well. Hey, I'm retiring in a week. I can. <clears throat> so. But God knows the birds of the air. God knows how many hairs are on your head. Every heart is a heart that is known to God. Every heart is a heart that God extends the invitation to reset the relationship just like He did with Peter. And this morning, it may be that you're sensing that's the invitation God has for you. You know, God, maybe I've been living over here. This morning, I want to hear the invitation to come have breakfast and reset the relationship. So those are the three invitations. I want you just at, at this time just to, to kind of be with yourself and, and the Lord. And I'd like you maybe even just to close your eyes so you're not sensing any distractions, but listening for, for what God might have for you. And I'm going to just review each of those invitations. And, and if that's an invitation that you're sensing, it could be one, it could be two, it could be all three. But, but if any or all of these invitations are a few, I just want you just to slip your, slip your hand out when I, when I get to that particular invitation. So, so first, the invitation to be a difference maker. Do you sense that, that God's calling you uh, to something? That, that there's something God's asking you to do to, to touch uh, another life or to become involved in, in a ministry in your neighborhood or in, your, in, the, in the church or, or, or anywhere it might be? If God's calling you to something, just slip your hand up. Yes, I see hands in every single section. People are sensing that God is calling you to something, and God will be there. God will lead you. That, that second invitation to, to come, even in your weariness, even in your brokenness, to bring that, that heaviness in your life to God, knowing that God uses broken things. If that's, if that's the invitation to bring those pieces to God, just, just slip up your hand and, and know that God is with you, even, even in that pain. Thank you. Hands in every section again. And then, then that third invitation, to come have breakfast, to, to, to reset your intimacy with God, knowing that God's the one who's inviting you. He, he's, he's, that's the voice you're hearing. So if that's you, to, to reset your relationship with God, just, just slip up your hand and know how pleased God is to, to see your heart and your hand desire to grow in that connection with him. And so we pray together, Lord, thank you for this time of being able to gather together to hear the invitations that you have for us. And Lord, this is a church that
has wanted these invitations to mark its identity from the very beginning, to be, to be a church that was started to make a difference, to be a church that's a place of refuge, to be a church where people can reset their life with you. And so for these 50 years, we thank you that, that that's what has helped to shape and to mold this church, to bring it to this point. And, and Lord, it's that hope, that intent that unfolds from here. Thank you for each person who has heard your invitation this morning, whichever one of those it has been. Lord, would your Holy Spirit uh, just give uh, confirmation, give your peace that they may know with great assurance that you have been with us this morning. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.